At this stage, um, Sienna is going to come and read to us. I'm going to be reading from the first, the first letter of, um, Peter's, of Peter. Thank you very much. Um, turn to that in the New Testament, towards the end of the New, New Testament. Today's reading is 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am lain in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you, had no you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, good morning. Oh, wow, guys. It's okay to answer. It's all right. Uh, anyway, uh, good morning, uh, BlackRock. Uh, it's good to be here uh, back again. I always get surprised when I am invited back. Uh, so I'm here, uh, I'm Oz, and that's my uh, lovely wife, Carol, uh, down there. Uh, so uh, I was asked to do like a, a little intro about me, for those who don't know me. So as I said, I'm Oz. I think of myself as a substitute preacher, but not the good type. You know, the one that uh, gets asked at the very end. You know, Richard asked a whole lot of people, and they said no. And then like at the 10th time, he came to me. So that's what I am. No, just messing. So um, I have just finished uh, Crossland Seminary uh, about two weeks ago, so I'm happy. I think I've passed. I haven't got my last assignment, but I think I have passed. Uh, and now I'm sort of like in this limbo where um, kind of waiting for what the next opportunity would be. Uh, so trusting God uh, for what that's going to look like. Uh, so today we're going to be in the book of First Peter. Uh, so it's more like a topical sermon. Uh, so let me just give some context as to what First Peter is all about. Uh, so First Peter is a book that was written by the Apostle Peter, and he wrote it to marginalized Christians who were being uh, persecuted uh, and were facing hardships because of their faith. And he writes to them to encourage them. So I hope that uh, as we go through this book, this section, especially just verses 9 to 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2, that you guys will also be encouraged. 
Uh, so with that, uh, let's just come to the Lord in prayer and uh, ask for his help. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you this morning, uh, especially right now. And Father, you know our circumstances. You know exactly what is happening in our lives. And anything that might be an obstacle uh, to people hearing your message, our Father, we pray that you will push it aside. I would pray that people will be convicted, uh, people will take your message to heart and look to repent where it is needed and look to change behaviors that need to be changed and take on behaviors that need to be taken on. We pray all these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, so let me begin by asking you this question. Uh, what organization out there do you think has the best mission statement? And I mean, it can be a school, it can be a charity, it can be a company, it can be a social club. What organization out there do you think has the best mission statement? And by mission statement, a mission statement is essentially just a summary of an organization's identity and purpose. So what is the organization and what is its purpose? What does it do? Uh, so I'm going to read to you a couple of mission statements uh, from organizations and I want you guys to know if you can recognize what these organizations are and you're allowed to respond by the way it's allowed it's okay so this is the first one so the first one is to offer low fares that generate increased passenger traffic while maintaining a continuous focus on cost containment Right there, right there. So, yeah, I mean, they, they should just probably change that to um, we offer cheap flights and uh, we make people pay for their food whilst they're on their flight. I think uh, people will recognize that it is right there and we know what they do. Okay, here's the next one. We develop and promote Gaelic games at the core of Irish identity and culture. Ah, that's the GAA. All right, so, like, okay, let's go international. This is a little bit of a harder one. We'll see you if you guys are as intelligent as you think you are, because I know you think you're intelligent. So, to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. To accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. The clues in the accelerate. I see you thinking. So, that is uh, Tesla. That is Tesla. That is like a big, audacious goal, isn't it? But that's what they want to do. They want to accelerate the world to sustainable energy. Those are great mission statements, right? From those mission statements, you can easily know what is the organization and what is it that they do. But as great as those mission statements are, they are nothing when it compares to the mission statement of BlackRock Community Church. Or is it BlackRock Baptist Church? BlackRock Church, right? They are nothing compared to BlackRock church so i want to read for you your mission statement you might have contextualized it in ways that work out for you but i'm just going to read from the bible what your mission statement is i know it is weird that i'm reading a mission statement for you when i'm visiting but it's from bible so you cannot disagree so just look down with me in verses uh, 9 and 10 of first peter chapter 2 and as I read this, the you that is here, I want you to hear uh, the plural first, 
an individual after. I know in our individualistic Western societies it is hard because we think normally individual first and then the corporate after, but I want us to think of the corporate, the community first, and the individual after. So let's look down in verse 9. So BlackRock Church is a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I mean, wow, what a statement. When people think about the mission of the church, they usually would go maybe to the Great Commission, you know, Matthew 28, verse 18, you know, go out there and make disciples of all nations, or maybe uh, Acts 1, verse 8, you know, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Those are all good, but I think the kind of taglines, here is my favorite mission statement, to proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness. And from there, I hope you pick up on the identity of the church, what is the church, and also pick up the purpose. So now we're going to look at those two things. What is the identity of the church, and what is the purpose of the church? So we're just going to look at those descriptors that we see in verse 9, you know, chosen race, uh, holy priesthood. We're going to look at them in turn and explain what they mean. So the church, BlackRock, you are a chosen race, meaning that you are selected. It is not by chance that you guys are here in June 2022. You were chosen by God to be here. And when I say chosen, I hope that makes you feel precious and special, which goes to the fourth description here, that we are God's own possession. The fact that you were chosen should make you feel precious. And actually, we shouldn't twist it. It should not, it's not the other way around. Sometimes we think because we are precious, because we are precious, then God chose us. But no, it's the other way around. Because God chose us, now we are precious. Uh, one time, my wife and I were flying from Zimbabwe, and um, one of the ladies um, who worked for the airline just looked at us, and she chose us and upgraded us to first class. I could stand there and say, oh, she saw something special in me. And that made her choose us to be in first class. But that's not true. Like, she probably saw how broke I was. And she's like, all right, okay, let's choose this person. So we are chosen. And that makes us feel precious. And then the holy nation, what's that about? So holy nation talks to the fact that we are distinct. We are separate. We set aside for God. We're set aside to complete God's mission. That is the mission of Black Rock Community Church. That's what we do. And then the last descriptor there, which is uh, a holy priesthood. What's that about? I mean, we don't walk around saying to each other, you're a holy priesthood, you're a holy priesthood. So let's try and unpack what that is. Uh, let's just, just think about in Old Testament times, access to God was through the priests. You know, in the temple or in the sacrifice, in, in the tabernacle, it was through the priests. Only certain areas the priests could, could, could get access to. And actually, the most holy place, only the high priest had access to that place, and only once a year. But now this passage is telling us that 
That's not the case no more. Now, as a church, we have direct access to God together, and that should hopefully get you guys excited. You know, when you've got access to something like a VIP treatment, uh, my wife and I went to uh, watch one of our daughters uh, doing a dance recital, uh, a show, but whilst she was on stage, we had no access to her. We weren't even allowed to take photographs of our own daughter, and after the show, we kind of raced to the stage to try and get to our daughter because we were so excited, and they closed the curtains on us. And then we tried to go behind the curtain, and a lady just came up and said, you can't do that. You have no access here. But when it comes to God, that is not the case. We have access to God. And when you just think about those descriptors, those are the same descriptors that were used of Israel in the Old Testament. Just listen to what Exodus uh, chapter 19, verse 5 to 6. You can just listen in. So Exodus 19, verse 5 to 6. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and the holy nations. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Isn't that amazing? The same concepts that we apply to Israel are now being applied to this local church. I hope that makes you feel special. I hope that makes you know how precious this local gathering is this morning, that we can be together like this. But truth be told, sometimes the church doesn't feel that special or precious. It feels like we're not making an impact in the world. I mean, truth be told, we are small in number. I had one stat that said that um, in Ireland, zero, only 0.5% of the population are evangelicals. 0.5. To put that in context, um, in Pakistan, a Muslim country, 0.8% of their population are evangelicals. So we are less. Than Pakistan. So sometimes we really do feel small. Like in April, when we had to um, fill out the census form, do you remember when you went to that section, religion? He said, What religion are you? They, didn't, they did not even have a checkbox for evangelicals. So you had to take that dreaded other. You just went other, and then you might write evangelical or Baptist or whatever else that you wrote. That's how small we are. And because of that, sometimes we do not feel that precious at all. And then there's another reason that we don't feel very precious at all. And that has to do with the people that are sitting right next to you, you know, in front of you, beside you. You know, sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. You know, the reason sometimes we think that the church is not that precious is because we rub each other the wrong way. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just us at Balikalan, you know. Sometimes we have issues with one another. Or the church that Peter is writing to here. Like if you look at First Peter chapter 2, verse 1, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Why would he say that if Christians sometimes don't rub each other the wrong way? You know, Billy Graham said, If you ever find a perfect church, Please do not join it because otherwise you will spoil it. So sometimes the church doesn't feel very precious or special because of one another. Let's just be honest, guys. This is just the truth. However, 
despite the church's shortcomings, we should never forget that this local church is God's chosen race. It is his precious possession. To forget that is to make a mistake. I don't know if you guys were watching the Oscars and uh, the comedian Chris Rock said something about Will Smith's wife and Will Smith got up and slapped him. I'm not condoning the actions, but I'm just saying you've got to be careful if you're going to say something about someone's wife. So the local church, this church is very precious to God. In other parts of the Bible, it is described as God's bride. So even when you're going to criticize the shortcomings of the church, do so in a way that recognizes that this church is precious, that this is God's bride, that even when you do criticize, you do it in a way that actually builds up the church, not in a way just to score marks and say, oh, the church did that, the pastor did that, and the PowerPoint wasn't to my liking. You know, guys, this is God's church. Anyway, so we got the identity sorted, right? So now we go to the next part, which is um, the purpose. What is the purpose of the church? And uh, for that, that's where we go to our, you know, the, the mission statement, right? To proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. I mean, that, that sounds wonderful, right? But let's just unpack it a little bit because, we, again, we don't go around saying we are proclaiming the excellences of him who called us out of darkness. So let's just put it in uh, our own vernacular. So exactly how do we do that? How do we proclaim the excellences of him who called us out of darkness? And so for that, let's just go to uh, verse 11 and 12. And as I'm reading this section, I'm going to just um, offer little commentaries as I go so that things just make sense. Um, so it starts off in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. So what's that about? So sojourners and exiles is just talking about the temporal nature of this life. One day we're here and the next we're gone. So we are sojourners we're exiles. So now, so beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. So what is that? That is just sinful actions, sinful behaviors, sinful conduct, which wage war against your soul. What's that about? When it's uh, the soul that is referring to all of you, your whole being, stop the actions that wage war against you. So in other words, when you are sinning, you are actually working against yourself. The consequences of your sin are detrimental to you. They might seem pleasurable at the time, but actually they are waging war against you. And that's, that's what it's saying. We've got to stop that. And then in verse 12, keep your conduct. And again, that's your behavior. Whether this is something that is negative, things that you have to stop, stop the hypocrisy, stop the malice, stop all those things that we read in verse 1, or things that you want to do. Like when you continue in the rest of chapter 2 and in the rest of uh, chapter 3, it talks about be a good citizen, be a good worker, be a good husband, be a good wife. So all these things that we are to do. So keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles. And the non-Christians are referred as Gentiles because the church is referred as Israel, so it just makes sense. So keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak of you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. So the day of his visitation there is judgment day. 
So non-Christians will see your conduct, and from your conduct, it will prompt something in them to want to know the hope that is in you. And hopefully through that, that will start a process where that leads to them being saved so that when judgment day comes, they will actually be praising God because they have been saved. But though truth be told, a lot of non-Christians around us actually think that Christians are hateful, they're mean-spirited, they're bigoted. You know, they don't think of us as, you know, this community that, you know, brings light to the world. They actually think of us in the opposite way. And then the, the question is, how are we going to change their minds? And according to these verses, it has to be through our actions. I mean, we even say this ourselves, that we say that actions speak louder than words. Um, for you uh, who don't know my background, I'm originally from Zimbabwe, and I came here in 2000. Uh, so before I came, I went to my grandmother to tell her that I am going to Ireland. Uh, I heard there's a land of, uh, of tigers. This was the time of the Celtic tiger. There was so much prosperity in Ireland, so I was like, I want some of that. So I, I told my grandmother that. So before I left, she just had one piece of advice for me. Uh, this is not quite PC, so don't get offended. Um, she said, Oz, I'm happy for you, but please, when you go to Ireland, don't marry a white woman. You know, so, but, but, but uh, my grandmother is not racist. It's just that she grew up in a colonized Zimbabwe. And all the white people she saw had colonized Zimbabwe. So she's like, don't colonize, don't, don't marry a white woman because, you know, they might want to colonize Zimbabwe yet again. So then I came here, and guys, I don't know if you know, my wife is here, and she is white. <laughs> so um, a couple of years, my grandmother came over to visit me for my graduation, and I could not hide my wife uh, any longer. Uh, so she, she went to meet my, uh, my, my grandmother, and I was just petrified as to how this transaction was going to go. Uh, but what happened actually astounded me. So essentially, my wife, Carol, went up to my grandmother, and she got down on one knee, and she clapped her hands, and she said, Makadini, which means, how are you, in my native language. And from that point on, they were best friends. And my grandmother, guess what happened to that advice of don't marry a white woman? It turned to, if you don't marry this white woman, you are a fool. You know, so what changed my grandmother's heart? It was the conduct of my wife. So it is, this is the same for us as Christians. When we are interacting with non-Christians who don't know much about what Christianity is about at all, they've got misconceptions of what Christianity is. Let our conduct, like, speak for us. Let our conduct bring credibility to our message. So the first thing is this. How are we to do that? The first thing is we need to hang out with non-Christians. We can't just hang out by ourselves. We actually need to be in places where non-Christians are comfortable, and we need to be there mixing with them. And the non-Christians I'm talking about here, they're not even strangers. I'm talking about your family, your relatives, your friends, your neighbors. So when you have parties, invite them over. Just have a barbecue at your house and just invite your neighbors so that they will observe your good conduct. And from there, that would, you know, spark something in them. So when everybody else is 
you know, is kind of panicking about uh, what is happening in the world with COVID, with inflation at 8.6, and some people say it's even higher than that, and you got war in Ukraine. We got all these things that are happening and that are really concerning, but as Christians, we panic in a different way because we know that God is good and he's his sovereign. And when they observe how we handle these crises, that they will come to say, there is something different about you. So that's the thing. So how do we proclaim the excellences of God? It is through our conduct. But our conduct by itself is not enough. So if you look down with me in First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 15, It says, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. You see, actions by themselves are not enough. They need to be accompanied with actions. When I got married, uh, my wife used to complain that uh, I never tell her that I love her enough. She's like, Oz, you need to tell me that I love you. And then I would point to my actions. I was like, baby, I put out the bins. You know, I hoover. And you know, African people don't hoover. African men don't do that. But I do it. You know, and I bring kids to school. I pointed to all these actions. And she said, Oz, that's not enough. You need to tell me that you love me. So uh, after a while, I, I gave in. So I went from telling her that I loved her once a year at our anniversary to two times a year. I included her birthday now. So at a birthday anniversary, I tell her I love her. Um, I mean, you know, that's a big move. That's a 100% increase. So that is big. But uh, my point is we need to verbalize the hope that is in us at some point. It might start off with the actions, but we need to tell them the hope that is in us. And what is it that we're telling them? And for that, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. Just a summary of what it is that we're telling them. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. If you just think of our world right now, of our city, of our communities, they're just full of people that are looking to belong. They're full of people that want identity. They're full of people that are missing purpose. And this is the message that we can bring to people that, you know what? There is a person Jesus Christ, who was chosen and precious of God, and he came down and died on the cross and rose again so that your sins will be forgiven, so that you will be numbered amongst God's people, so that you will be chosen, so that you will be precious, so that you would have identity, so that you would have purpose. This is the message that the people around us are dying for. They're just looking to belong, and this is a place to belong. And the way to belong in this local community is through Jesus Christ, who came and died. Um, uh, three weeks ago, I think about three weeks ago, 
Uh, when I was in church, um, I'm going to say something about my wife again. She's going she's gonna to have me after this. <laughs> but anyway, at church, I saw my wife just kind of tearing up and being all emotional. And I was wondering um, what was happening. Was it because my preaching was so bad or what, what was it? Uh, but when I got to talk to her, she said, um, one of our sons took the bread in the cup. This is the communion. And she was just super excited about what this might mean. So then after the service, God talking to our son and asked him, oh, I saw you taking the bread in the cup. You know, why was that? You know, and our son said, it's because I believe in Jesus Christ and what he came to do. The fact that he died for me on the cross. And my wife said, how come you never took it before? And she said, oh, it was all those warnings, you know, because every time we take communion, we always do the warnings. You know, make sure you're Christians, don't take this. You know, so, so he never took it. But now he was certain that he is a Christian, that he believes in Jesus Christ. And it got me thinking, how did he come to make that decision? I know salvation belongs to God, but God works through means. How is it that he came to believe? And then as I just reflected and looked back, he has grown up in and around church. He has grown up observing his parents. He has grown up observing the people in the church, how they talk to one another, how they do things for one another. He has grown up hearing the message of Jesus Christ over and over again in the church. I tell you, there is no organization that has such a mission, that can make such a difference, a difference that stretches into eternity. And that is what this local church is doing. So I hope that encourages you and just, you know, you will go home knowing that, that this local church is here to proclaim the excellences of him who called us out of darkness. So with that, uh, let us just bow our heads and come to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ our cornerstone. For him, without him, we are nothing. But because of Christ, we have a mission. Our identity is set and we have purpose. And Father, please help us through our conduct and through our words to verbalize what has happened to us, to the people in and around us. Amen.